0: Welcome back to the 10 Blocks Podcast. This is Brian Anderson, the editor of City Journal. Joining me on today's show, Steve Malanga, he's the senior editor of City Journal and the George Yeager Fellow at the Manhattan Institute, and Charles Lehman, contributing editor to City Journal as well, and a fellow at MI. Each uh, has been following the public policy issues posed by the legalization of marijuana, and each has been writing about it for the CJ website recently. So Steve and Charles, thanks very much for joining. Thank you. uh, Thanks for having us. uh, Steve, let let me start with you. Your recent piece for us looks at what's going on uh, in California and Oregon with regards to the legalization of pot. So shortly after legalizing the drug for for recreational use, both of these states saw their black black markets absolutely explode. Now, this was contrary to what the advocates of pot legalization had predicted. Uh, We were told in the run-up to legalization that legal weed would kill off the black market and generate um, enormous sums of money uh, in tax revenue for for various governments, uh, local and state. Yet now those same advocates are saying, well, now the black market is persisting only because not every state has legalized the drug, so that we need legalization across the board. So I, I wonder, you know, what your what your take is on the black market in these states, and if there's any merit to that um, counter argument by legalization advocates.
1: Yeah, well, the first thing that occurred actually when a legalization, and we're talking about a legalization of recreational use, which 19 states now have. And there are five states that are actually voting on legalization uh, for recreational use this November. Uh, Initially, when the black market didn't go away, the justification was, I guess you could say, the explanation was that governments were regulating this marketplace and, uh, uh, you know, they're charging taxes and they're charging registration fees. And um, there are all these regulations that, that marijuana growers is pr- in particular have to follow and that it's just simpler to be part of the black market. Um, it, it, some of the investigations in places like California and Oregon, for instance, have found, and in Colorado too, that essentially uh, uh, marijuana growers who are doing a, a bang up business before legalization uh, don't want to become part of the system. Um, Because they don't even want to follow environmental rules, for instance, that all farms have to follow. Uh, In some cases, black market growers who have been busted have been found stealing things like water, you know, um, uh, which is a a valuable commodity in a place like California these days. Um, And so... If you add the, the special taxes that we believed we could uh, apply to marijuana, that states believe they could apply, if you added that to the fact that all businesses have to follow, you know, I, I mean, any any business, whether you're selling food, whether you're selling personal care products, you know, you have to follow certain basic rules. Um, it's it's The black market has eventually decided that, number one, they could make more money. Uh, uh, simply by not following the rules and staying in the black market at a time when, because of legalization, s- smoking of a uh, use of marijuana was becoming normalized across the country, which meant that the market itself was exploding. And so you have two things going on. One, they don't want to necessarily adhere to the rules and regulations that, that legitimate b- businesses adhere to because that's an added cost for every legitimate business, basically, government regulation is an added cost in taxation. And two, on top of that, what's happened is, and this is where the other argument comes in that you just suggested, the, uh, is that only 19 states, and we could be up to 24 within a couple of weeks, uh, but that's still only half the states have legalized it, and therefore there's this market out there. Uh, across the country in places that haven't legalized it where people are looking for pot and you might as well grow it in a place like California uh, under the cover of legalization and then export it somewhere else. Although the fact of the matter is that even in a place like Massachusetts, which does have full-on legalization, it's estimated that two-thirds of all sales of pot are actually black market pot. So even in places where it's legal to buy it, the black market continues to thrive.
0: Uh, Charles, you've written on this this persistence of the black market uh, as well recently. Um, in a review of a book that's recently been published called Can Legal Weed Win? Uh, the the culprit, as you explained there, is, uh, is in part the lack of law enforcement. So these illegal pot businesses, you know, on, on every level, cultivation, distribution, drug dealing, they're not shutting down, as Steve was just saying. Um but partly for the reason nobody is shutting them down, uh, why is that the case?
2: Yeah, you know i I I, I think that ultimately the answer is squeamishness, right uh, the the argument and I think Steve said this well, the argument that uh, illegal weed is out competing legal weed due to regulation is sort of prima facie crazy, right It's arguing that the only difference between the two markets uh, is that, one is regulating, the other one is not, and the answer is the difference between an legal market and a legal market is that one is sanctioned by law and the other one is not. And if you're not san- operating sanctioned by law, then there should be costs associated with this. And there are actually very good academic estimates that say prohibition is associated with a fifty to ninety percent increase in the price of marijuana. Um, so you know, I I I think that. Uh, There's a difference between formal prohibition of uh, the the law saying that something is permitted and actually enforcing the law. And when you care about real effects, you care about whether or not the law is actually being enforced. I think what we're seeing in a place like New York is that there are – like New York City is that there are dozens of illegal dispensaries, unlicensed dispensaries popping up. The squeamishness on the part of law enforcement, the city and the state, of going after the people who are operating these illegal businesses. And there's a simple reason for that, which is that – there has been a cultural drumbeat for over a decade saying that marijuana enforcement and drug enforcement more generally is immoral, racist, and otherwise destructive. Um, the, the The theory the theory has been that people in the black market are legitimate business people who are just being stopped from carrying out legitimate business by criminalization, and so we need to bring them into the legitimate market, why, of course, would you go after the those same people? Why would you think it was listed to go after those same people? And, you know, the, the, the reality is people who operated in the illegal marijuana market are criminals. They aren't just, by definition, criminals. They're also of a criminal tendency, which is to say they think it's a good idea to make their living operating outside the law. Um, and so it is, you know... It is it is a little surprise that people look at the situation and say, well, I'm not going to get in any trouble if I don't follow the law. I'm not going to get in trouble if I don't follow the regulations. Uh, and following regulations is costly. So I'm just going to not follow the regulations. But that's just is proof that the regulations are not being enforced.
0: Uh, yeah. Steve, um, you know you know in your piece that at least in a couple of places, law enforcement has started to – Crack down on uh, on illegal pot, as with the uh, there's a multi-year operation going on in Colorado to to shut down this this vast growing operation that sprung up. You know, I I I wonder if other states might follow suit. Um, Charles just mentioned these these uh, gray market, I guess he could call them brick or mortar stores that are popping up in New York City, the weed trucks that are that are circ- circulating around now. Um, You know, they've been operating basically unmolested for months in in New York City. But once, you know, once uh, the limited number of licenses is issued to the various commercial uh, legal marijuana dispensers, will that create a lobby for real enforcement? Or is this kind of gray market or or tolerated black market going to continue, do you think?
1: Yes, well... (laughs) Uh, the irony of the situation is that, as Charles suggested, and, and when I wrote about the, the rise of the black market in legal states a couple of years ago, this was the case, that uh, um, I quoted a, a, a California official as saying, do we really want another war on drugs? We, we, we were supposed to end the war on drugs. And so they were, as the words of Charles is squeamish at that particular time. And they were screaming because originally the whole idea was a war on drugs was really a war on people who were just kind of pursuing this, well, you know, increasingly uh, benign uh, 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 occupation of of selling marijuana, which since 38 states have, have medical marijuana, you know, people now view marijuana as being benign uh you know as a a safe product now there's a whole other discussion about that because increasingly the marijuana that's being sold out there doesn't seem to be safe at all and we're seeing many more studies on that but that's a whole other discussion so so there was this squeamishness but as you say what happened is the legal market created a lobby of, of business legitimate businesses who are now they are the ones complaining they are the ones driving Uh, This notion that we're never going to have um, an adequate legal market unless we have a basically a new war on drugs, a new war on pot. And so uh, Oregon, uh, 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 a couple of months ago. um, they essentially devoted they out of their budget $25 million to a new enforcement policy to to essentially uh, uh, suppress the black market in that state and it, it involves using you know all kinds of different government agencies california they used to have when when pot was illegal for all the years that pot was illegal in the state they had a seasonal uh, campaign against illicit growers that you know during the the prime growing season Ironically they've now taken that seasonal campaign and made it a 12month uh, out of the year campaign, putting together all different agencies within the state and federal agencies, including assigning the National Guard in California to the idea of suppressing the black market. Uh, in Colorado they, uh, they have they, uh, they've busted um, uh, Chinese nationals, Argentinian, uh, gangs that have come to the United to, to Colorado to grow a illegal pot and a Bulgarian gangs. So they, you know, you know, and, and part of what's driving this is there actually are um, newspaper stories about the violence that that accompanies this. Uh, itinerant workers, uh, uh, essentially being in, imported uh, into uh, California, uh, being mistreated. Uh, dying on on these farms, um, so so there, it's like there's there's a new scandal uh, that's arising, and 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 the squeamishness that Charles talked about is disappearing in part because there's a lobby saying you know you want us to pay taxes and, and but but we you know we can't succeed. In this environment, and then there's also a lot of bad outcomes like violence arising from this. Homicides in places like Denver has never disbanded. It's kind of like marijuana, you know, enforcement uh, uh, um, mechanisms in the police department. Even though uh, uh, it's been legal there, recreational pot's been legal there for quite a number of years now. So, so this is this is a new, I guess, war on crime that we're seeing, you know, arise particularly as on the one hand. You have a new lobby, the legal growers, but on the other hand, there is violence associated with this, and that is starting to get headlines.
0: Uh, Charles, um, uh, you know the, the the idea behind this legalization drive is in part based on social justice considerations, I guess, uh, but it's also being touted now as um, uh, an economic development tool. Uh, so New York, Eric Adams, has really gotten behind the idea of legalized pot as a way to generate revenue for the city um, you know you're, you're seeing these these pot dispensaries spring up legalized pot dispensaries are, are about to spring up in, in very many communities throughout New York. I, I wonder though if if uh, you know there's really any credit to that argument that this is going to drive any kind of economic development uh,
2: the short answer is no. Um, so, so the book that you alluded to that I reviewed for City Journal, Can Legal Weed Wins by a pair of economists, Truman Goldstein and Daniel Sumner, UC Davis, the agriculture economists. Um, and they basically – in the book, they make the point that when marijuana legalization is being rolled out, there were all of these wild estimates being suggested by advocates that you know this would close states' uh, fiscal gaps, that it would be the godsend to end all godsends – uh, the reality is just it's not it's not playing out like that. The the ballpark is you know maybe uh in the last year something like a few billion dollars across uh across um all legalization states. Uh, there was a Barclay estimate that's something like twelve billion dollars by twenty thirty. And is that nothing? No. Is that a lot of money? No, not really. Um, a big part of the reason for this is because. Uh, of the illegit- because of the illegitimate market that people continue to stay in the illegal market, the unregulated market, rather than shifting into the taxed market, the the regulated market. Um, and you know, one one solution to that problem is to change the cost by reducing uh, the tax rates. I think there are arguments for and against, but the reality is, if you want to shift people, if you want to increase consumption in the tax market, you have to cut taxes, so your revenue still stays low. And I think this is like. Reliably true across most uh, sin taxes. There are there are sort of I think incentive reasons to want to tax uh, sin goods, but they aren't necessarily the uh, the budget aids that they often presented as.
0: Um, you know, Steve, you alluded to uh, the the um, more that we're learning about some of the effects of of pot consumption. Um, so there are social costs to this legalization that that um, some critics are saying haven't been taken into consideration enough. I, w- I would agree with that one hundred percent. I wonder if you could survey, you know, what we know about um, the, you know, the safety of of pot consumption. What what some of the links uh, are, are that we're seeing, and, and maybe Charles, you can speak to this too as as a final question. Of both of you. Um, you know, are are there going to be significant social consequences uh, to legalization? So, Steve first, and then and then Charles. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, the first thing to to is that modern pot is not your parents' pot. It's not your grandparents' pot. The pot that people smoked in the uh, it, on college campuses in the '60s and '70s uh, was much less potent. It had a, 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 a much less pers- higher percentage of THC, which is really the um uh the ingredient that that generates the response um uh, it, it was at back in those days the the the, the potency was about you know 20 percent. now it's about the, the 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 uh the proportion of thc is now about 70 to 80 percent and um one of the thing it it, it has you know tremendous psychological effects um, a, a danish study basically estimated that smoking pot regularly has uh, the highest what they call conversion rate to schizophrenia, meaning the tendency to cr- create schizophrenia uh, results in uh, ordinary users, the highest conversion rate of any uh, of any drug that's out, out on the market now, including meth or opioids. Um, there are a couple of the Danish studies which um, put the chances for a regular user of uh, marijuana with a 70 to 80% proportion of THC uh, of developing schizophrenic tendencies at anywhere between 20% and 50% of users, which are just kind of enormous numbers. Um, So there there have been quite a few articles uh, uh, about, you know, in scientific journals about this issue now. And, you know, there is not you know there is not necess- there are there are countries that have pushed pause on this, including the u k that are not heading towards legalization at anywhere near the rate that we are um so we'll we'll have to see i mean the the um the studies some of these you know there have been long term studies but some of these newest studies looking at the drug as it is constituted now, as opposed to what we, re, some of us who are older remember <laughs> as being, um, some of those studies are just appearing, uh, and there, there's a fair amount of alarm. Now, yeah,
2: Trump to, part, you know, I think uh, Steve, Steve, Steve makes all the right points. I just want to add to that. There's this idea in drug legalization circles called the Iron Law of Prohibition, which is that essentially the effect of prohibition on uh, the potency of drug is positive. Of, of a drug is positive. If you criminalize the drug, it will become more potent um, because you want to concentrate so it's easier to smuggle. Um, and as my friend Jonathan Calkins, the professor Carnegie Mellon, said, has uh, said the number of times, marijuana legalization smashes the iron law of prohibition. All of the increase in potency that Steve is talking about was a function of came after was a function of the greater diversity made available, the greater innovation, the greater effectiveness. Uh, made available by the post legalization, i.e. the deregulated market. And that's what you expect, right? if you if you you know in in the old days, there was one product in the marijuana market. it was a it, it was an eighth of an ounce. it cost forty dollars. And now there are dozens and dozens of products. and that's exactly what you expect when you end prohibition. Um, so I just, you know, I, I think Steve hits all the right points. I'll just add a couple of notes. Um, one is that really I think the major concern about marijuana consumption is among teenagers, is the effect on the developing brain, whether it be, as he alluded to, conversion to psychosis, uh, whether it be anxiety, depression. Um, there's even some uh, suggestive evidence that it can cost IQ points. Uh, so, you know, I mean, in my mind... The, the major population of concern is is adolescents, is those under the age of 25 in particular. Um, you know, I'd like to say is, look, do I care if the 60, 70-something baby boomer smokes pot? Not really. Do I care if my kid smokes pot? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and when you're making decisions about the impact of the market, um, you know, uh, le- legal, legal weed is not necessarily causing mass violence, so it's not causing no violence, as, as Steve's alluded to in his piece, uh, but, but it's still... Is introducing a, a socially harmful substance into broader society more accessible? Um, we recently saw a market increase in the share of 19 to 30 year olds who reported uh, smoking marijuana. Um, that's probably bad at the margins. So, you know, I think I, I think it's important to remember where those costs, among whom those costs are concentrated, uh, and to see, think about whether those costs are outweighed by whatever the alleged benefits of legalization are.
0: Gentlemen, thanks very much. Don't forget to check out Steve Malenga and Charles Lehman's work on the City Journal website. That's www.city-journal.org. Their recent uh, pieces on marijuana legalization can be found there. Uh, we'll link to their author pages in the description. You can also find City Journal on Twitter, at City Journal, and on Instagram, at cityjournal underscore mi. And uh, as always, if you like what you've heard on the podcast, please Give us a ratings on iTunes. Charles, Steve, thanks very much. Thanks for joining us for the weekly 10 Blocks podcast featuring urban policy and cultural commentary with City Journal editors, contributors, and special guests.